saying that this last week on spiritual maturity is about transformation. And for me, the first thing that got transformed was the topic of the sermon. God does that to me all the time. Um, I think I told the story one time. I written a sermon at Rockland Baptist Church in Pelican uh, City. And I had a dandy sermon put together. Huh. The party waking up there. And um, I stood up there and the Lord said, Jesus wept. And my first thought was, no, the Lord, I'm, I'm all prepared, I've got everything already. And um, I did a sermon the Lord gave me right then about why, what would make our king, the king of the universe, what would make him be, what would make him be reduced to people. And um, at the uh, 11 o'clock service, I went up there and the same, same thing happened the second time. So if you're going to um, say, Lord, I, am, I will uh, give myself to you and surrender to you, you have to be prepared sometimes Spiritual maturity also is. I was, you know, last uh, last time I preached on on this, I put together some ideas about what spiritual maturity consisted of. Remember, um, there are elements of maturity in the life of a Christian uh, that comes to us and that we have to take hold of and make make our own. And it has to do so often with the fact that we, in order to be a real Christian, in order to be mature, in order to stand firm, in order not to be fearful, in order not to back down, in order to be able to make a statement and have a stand for what it is that the Lord has called to you, you have to understand that you are set apart. That we are to withdraw from the world, that we are to be against the world, that we are at war against the world, that we are battle against the world. We battle not against uh, uh, flesh and blood, but spirit, uh, spiritual power in high places. We are outside of the world. We are outsiders. We are posted here. We are not citizens here anymore. We renounced our citizenship and taken up our citizenship someplace else. And this is a very tough task to be because the, the kind of maturity that you need means that you have to stand firm and speak against a lot of people around you who don't recognize the authority that you speak for. The Lord is not their authority the same way that the Lord is the authority for us. Um, when I was uh, dating a girl in high school, the, um, her mother was, was um, a born-again Christian, which was the kind of born-again Christian that used to set my teeth on edge. But she was my girlfriend's mother, so what do you do? You, you grin and you smile and you nod and you do whatever else it is, but she was... She spoke a language that was foreign to me. And um, the whole idea of, um, of understanding anything that she was talking about, I did not recognize her authority. But one of the things that was interesting is she would say about being a Christian, that, that she was a Christian, that she was a Christian. And I would think, well, what am I? I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. I grew up in the church. I live in, I live in the United States. The United States is basically a Christian nation. We're basically a Christian culture. Of course I'm a Christian. What I didn't understand was I didn't follow Christ. He wasn't my Lord, and I didn't follow him. 
In fact, as a person who didn't really have any uh, faith to, to speak of, what I did instead with Jesus was I would put words in his mouth of what I thought a real good God would say. These are the things that I thought that God should be standing for. I read a lot of stuff in the Bible that didn't make any sense to me. A lot of it looked very strict. A lot of it looked very arbitrary. A lot of it looked very silly. Because as Jesus also tells us, this is foolishness to the world. And it was. But I thought I was a Christian anyway until I came to the Lord and found out really that Jesus was who he said he was. He was very different from the things that I was saying that he was. And that I had to follow him from that day forward. And I was no longer easily recognized by my old friends who either thought that this was a phase that I was going through or that I had lost my mind altogether, that I was in need of some kind of help or therapy or whatever else it was. But what they ended up concluding was what I was really worthy of was getting away from. All my friends are gone as far as my friendship with them. They're all gone. Um, we had no basis for a friendship anymore, and so that's the price to pay, and it was worth paying. What a friend we have in Jesus, right? We are outside. Um, as we give ourselves to the Lord, as we uh, yield to him, and we become more uh, at ease with and um, happy with the idea that we are apart from the world, when we recognize the world that we are now not a part of anymore, and who we have joined ourselves to, who has taken up residence inside of us and made us his temple, uh, it brings us more joy that we, uh, we understand we're on the right side, it's okay to feel this way, and to be able to, um, to stand up against the attacks that we're going to get. It, this takes place also, one of the things I also mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, this takes place also inside many churches. This doesn't always take place just between the church and the rest of the world. It takes place inside many churches. And so um, we hear uh, words about uh, some churches that consist of holy roller churches. My mother used that expression all the time. My aunt belonged to a church, uh, it was called Calvary Chapel. Uh, I think it's still around. It's up in Harmons, somewhere up there. And um, my aunt would want my, my mother to go to church there. We would go there every once in a while, and my mother was terribly uncomfortable. Uh, first of all, with the things that they were teaching... Second of all, with the fact that, that you had to actually um, speak, speaking in church, you didn't, you didn't speak in church. You spoke when it said in the bulletin, when it said congregation, and you read what it said for you there, and then the pastor would speak and somebody else would speak. My mother was a person of, of, of pretty strong decorum, and the whole idea of the kind of demonstrative worship that these, these people were doing at Calvary Chapel made her supremely uneasy. But she would, she, there was something about it that would make her continue to go every once in a while, and she would take us where I was supremely uneasy. Um, and there was this attitude that they were doing it wrong. They were, they were sort of, they took it too far. They went beyond what the Bible says. What they really were doing was they were going beyond what the culture says. My mother just didn't know to say that. Uh, the culture doesn't act this way towards God, but... The people of God do, and it was okay. Um, the world looks upon us sometimes, and we'll use the word fundamental. I don't hear the word fundamentalist as much as I used to. Is it? Am I just not listening to the right news sources or something? Is it, it, it does mean something different now. Yeah, it was well, yes, and it was a 
it's used as, now as an insult. So when a person is a fundamentalist Christian, it basically means that they've gone nuts, and they actually take this stuff seriously. And to the, to the world at large, taking all this, this kind of seriously is, it, it just makes, it's just senseless. What kind of life can you have if you do everything the Bible says you're supposed to do? You're not going to fit in. You can't, there's all these kind of things, you know, it just goes against the grain of the world, which it's supposed to. But the world, of course, you know, rebels against that kind of rejection. Um, as we give ourselves to the world, as we are into the Lord, as we grow in spiritual maturity, we become um, increasingly unrecognizable to the unbelieving world. We become increasingly objectionable to the unbelieving world. We become increasingly useless to the unbelieving world. And we become increasingly threatening to the unbelieving world. And this is the life we have chosen in surrendering our lives to a God who requires us to do things that are obviously very different in direct opposition to an unbelieving, to unbelieving world. Worship. The people of God worship. The people of God who know God, who have given ourselves to God, we begin to understand God as something who is worthy of worship. If you go back into the dictionary and read where the word sources are, the word worship and the word worthy come from the same sources. That worship in and of itself is supposed to be given to one who is worthy of this kind of adoration and praise. When I was a kid and we went to uh, uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Heights United Methodist Church, we used to sing this little couplet in the morning when we would go into Sunday school. I haven't heard it in a long time. Um, I always thought, at, at, you know, well, it was, it was, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Did anybody used to sing that? We sang that at Sunday school. And my first thought was, no, I'm not. I have a tie on. Um, I'm missing um, Bullwinkle. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that uh, going to church was a sacrifice that I was simply not willing to make. I was not glad to be there until years later when I would look back on it and realize what those people were trying to do to an ingrate like me who was standing in opposition and, and always coming up. I was the kid that was, you know, just coming up. Suppose God did this. Suppose God did that. Why did God make poison ivy? Why did God do all this other kind of stuff, you know? Um, and these, and they, the teachers always, they just always loved me. They just always loved me just the same. And then later on, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Um, we're going into his house. We are his temple. It's, it's interesting when you think about it. The Lord is gathering 50 temples in his house. Actually, this is the first time I ever thought of that. Um, we're gathering here in order to worship. Um, one of my first classes at seminary was worship. It was taught by a professor named Stuckey, and if you don't, you might remember his last name. His cousin was Paul Stuckey of Peter, Paul, and Mary. He looked exactly like him. Miserable voice, but he looked exactly like him. <laughs> and um, his first question was, what is worship? One of the first things we had is, I want, he said, I want you to write your answers down. I'm going to read them, 
at the end of the semester, I'm going to ask this question again, and you're going to write it again, and I'm going to, see, to compare the, the two things. And as I was thinking it over, I was thinking about something that did not take place in the churches that I had ever gone to. When you picture worship, let's, let's just say, for example, in the Old Testament, there's a number of times where somebody, you know, Jacob or Abraham or someone, came to a certain place. The Lord had worked with them to, to an incredible degree, done magnificent things with them. At that point, they said, and then he worshipped God. Now, I'm assuming that when he worshipped God, he didn't preach a sermon to himself. That his worship consisted of something more demonstrative, more um, active, more given directly to God, just him and God, nothing in between them, no other, you know, just everything else goes away. One of the, um, the praise songs that I like was, and you know, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, uh, look full upon his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. To be with God altogether. How do we do that as a group? I can do that at home. It's sort of rude to do it here, isn't it? but not if that's what we're being asked to do. But I also said I have never really, I don't know churches that have worship the way I'm picturing it now, Dr. Stuckey. I just don't see a church that is, a, that is able to do those things. How do you carry it off? I still don't know. How do you carry it off with a group of people speaking to God directly? What, is it, what does it look like? Now, the thing to understand is we as human beings are created by God for worship. God tells us all the time, you know, worship him and worship him only. Worship is, um, not only is it something that he is due, not only is it something that he's worthy of, we as human beings created in his image are made to worship. So much so that if we do not worship God, we'll worship something else, right? The world is filled with idols. If we don't uh, worship God, we will worship something else. We will give the... um, uh, the kind of um, obedience, the kind of loyalty, the kind of faithfulness. We will give the kind of um, uh, attitude and um, uh, love for something that we then follow and let take sort of charge of our lives and make a lot of important decisions for us. So it could, it could be um, the government. It could be some ism or other, some type of system. Uh, it could be wealth, it could be power. A lot of people worship celebrities. If you've watched some of the cable TV channels, it, you know the, the amount of adoration, the kind of things that people will do in order to follow certain celebrities, um, clearly is um, idolatry. Hedonism, fun, excitement, um, uh, putting your bucket list together, dedicating your life to something like this. But of course, in the end, what it comes down to is this is all the worship of self. I put myself first. And in putting myself first in, in all of this, in making myself the, de- the person, the one who determines how all these things are going to be, it's just a matter then of what I think is most worthy of my attention. The difference is, when you give yourself to God, uh, rather than just I'm going to pursue the celebrities, I'm going to pursue the wealth, I'm going to pursue the power... I'm going to uh, worship whatever it is I worship. And here, you actually yield it up. So as opposed to just saying, I'm going to um, go ahead and um, uh, follow these, it's, it's not just a matter of following. It's a matter of actually surrendering. 
to something that actually has the power to, to do its will within you. It comes from the outside. Um, so it stands the reason that God commanded worship has to look different from any worship that comes from any other source, for any other motive. Uh, we who are created to worship then, by giving ourselves to the Lord who is the one who is worthy of it, worship is going to look very different. Now, as I was thinking about how to um, sort of rationalize for myself the, the, what worship looks like when Abraham was standing, or standing where he was standing, or when Jacob was by the river Jabbok, or wherever else the worship was going, how do we do this in a group here? Um, and it becomes clear to me that it's, it's an attitude of the heart. Um, as we come in here, when we sing, we recognize singing as worship, right? We call them worship songs. This is our worship time. I've heard it called that a number of times. This is our worship time. If that's our worship time, what comes after? If this is the worship time because it consists of something recognizably worshiping, of, of adoring and praising and speaking and emptying ourselves for the sake of God, giving ourselves over, making these demonstrations of love and adoration and glorification, what comes after? Are we, are we doing the, we have the same thing in our hearts now as you look at one guy with a microphone on his head? Um, what's going on in your heart as we listen to the words of God spoken in God's house amongst God's people who love, love you more than you could ever know. Is the, the uh, idea of gratitude, the idea of love, the idea of surrender. But as, a, as we think about worship, one of the words that comes up when I think about what's going to happen, if I ever encounter God the way Jacob did, if I ever encounter God the way Paul did, one of the first words that comes up is all. And all encompasses an awful lot of things which can only be attached to something which is of clearly much, much greater than ourselves. The splendor that is God. The scale that is God. Um, what it is to be infinite, what it is to be eternal. What it is to know everything about the um, atoms in my elbow and the galaxies so far away, holding them all together. The whole idea of all is something that I think, as a mature Christian, when you're a mature Christian, it becomes a part of who you are as you stand in awe of all the things that God does in your life, minute by minute, including holding you together, right? One of my favorites is, in all things, God holds us together. Now, here's a style of worship that um, is in, actually, it's in 2 Samuel. We heard 2 Samuel today. This is a little earlier than that. This is 2 Samuel 6. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to, to the city of David with rejoicing. With those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod a garment, David was dancing before the Lord, Dancing before the Lord. He was dancing before the Lord. He, was mo he just couldn't stand still. Uh, there's an old song I remember, You Can't Sit Down. I don't know if it's got to be old to know that song. Um, 
that you just hear the, 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 he was moved to dancing. I've never danced in church. Anybody ever dance in church? My, 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 mother, would, my mother would have gone into a swoon if she had, if she had seen me say, you know, we, we, should be, we should be dancing here at Brooklyn Heights United Methodist Church. We, we don't even dance, like, on Saturday. In the United Methodist Church, we don't, even, we don't dance at all. We, 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 don't, we, don't dance, we don't go to dances. We don't go to the prom. Uh, we, had a, we had a square dance once at Salem United Methodist Church in Hampstead, and there were five or six people that I, that I thought literally we were going to have to administer oxygen to. Dancing? We don't dance. We don't bowl. We don't play cards. We don't do all that kind of stuff. And now they're you know, dancing in the church. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets, and as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Michal was his wife. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. What a display. You're embarrassing me. You were the king. You were not supposed to behave this way. You were the king. You were not supposed to, to, um, to lose control. You're not supposed to be showing these kind of demonstrations, and you're certainly not supposed to be giving this kind of obedience, this kind of attention, this kind of um, uh, behavior to someone else as though that person was more important than you. Of course, God was. Um, now, whether we worship with dancing or whether we worship with trumpets and timbrels and the other and harps and things. Worship of God in and of itself causes us to be despised by some people. A lot of people. Because they view this, this um, loyalty, this obedience, this attention as misplaced. It might be, they might think of it as impractical. If, if, um, if somebody ever says, you know, I've, we, I need some kind of help, I need something, and you say, I'm going to pray for you, have you ever had that person look at you and go, no, 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 I, I, I need help. I, I don't want to hear about you like going back and pray. I need help. Do something. And if we were to tell them that we were praying, their attitude would be that we were just simply, it's the same thing as blowing them off or refusing to, to help them. We are despised because of who we put our attention in. And that, of course, it means we cannot uh, worship the same things that they do. When we think about David, we think about um, the body of Christ gathered together by the Holy Spirit in order to worship him. I think it still is a matter of the, the condition of the heart. I don't know that at some point uh, in, the, uh, in the future here, that we might all stand up and start dancing. I know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to stand up here and say, okay, everybody, dance. <laughs> it's time to dance. It's five minutes to 12. It's dancing time. Uh, so, no. It's a matter of the heart. What caused uh, David to do this was that he was overflowing with love and adoration, a sense of, of wonder and amazement at just how wonderful God was who was coming and giving him the gift of the ark and just how much uh, of the power and the love and the forgiveness and the grace and all of the other things that David relied upon, the direction, 
the inspiration that he had, which showed to, of course, how much God loved him. And, of course, then on top of that, how much God is able to do all the things that he promises he'll do. And so as we sit here listening to someone else speak, it doesn't mean that we at all can't have that sense of awe of a God that we are always aware of and who is in us at every moment, of praise, of love, of gratitude and thanksgiving for the things that he has done and that he is doing and that he will be doing, of exultation, of reverence, devotion, faithfulness, glorification, joy, ecstasy even, jubilation, and delight, all of which ends up coming back to all. Um, This ongoing, eternal appreciation of how wonderful God is, helped by the fact that God is in his holy temple, directing us in the way of worship. It is interaction with God like we're doing right now. As we worship together from now on, um, I'm just asking to have a more of an intentional awareness of God's presence here and what it means to be allowed to worship him. Um, the love that he wants, the, the desire that he has for us to worship him, to speak to him, to rely upon him, to count upon him, to call upon him. This brings very great joy to God. To persist in this sense of worship and adoration. This is the mark of a mature Christian, is to, to be able to immerse oneself in God and have worship just come out by virtue of what, what the Holy Spirit does within us basically working within us to give adoration to who it is due. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. Bless you. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools, and they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now, one of the things in closing, I, I think of this a lot actually whenever I speak, whenever I pray, because sometimes I pray about something and I think to myself that this is part of the universal experience, that what I'm praying about 
is something everybody has thought about, everybody is praying for. And then other times I think, I'm the only person in the world that thinks this. I'm the only person in the world to whom this has happened. I am special in the extreme that I should be having these kinds of experiences. And what I've found is that truth as usual is somewhere in between. Um, I can say some things and there are people who have not the slightest idea what I'm talking about. They haven't had that experience at all. In sort of a prosaic way, I remember I had that experience once when I was preaching at Salem in uh, Hampstead, Maryland, and I was talking about repentance. And I was using the example of um, Maxwell Smart. Does anybody remember Maxwell Smart? And Maxwell Smart would do something wrong, and his answer would be, sorry about that, chief. And that's sort of not repentance. There wasn't a soul in that church who had any idea who Maxwell Smart was. <laughs> These were all farmers. They didn't spend their nights watching Get Smart like I did. And as I, was, as I realized that I had rooted myself in this as the heart of my sermon, <laughs> and I saw their faces, I thought it, it helps to understand better and to go in prayer what is the experience of the folks who are around me. Oh, how many of these are my experiences and how many of these are other experiences? But I think when it comes to worship, um, I believe, uh, as I've talked to each of you and as I love, so, as I love you all, I love you so much, um, there is a thirst for God here to worship and to express. We, we have coming out of us this need to express, not to just sit on it, not to just you know, dwell, but to let it out and to be some, you know, in a place, maybe in a private place, maybe in church some Sunday, to just simply say, I, you know, I, like with the dancing, I couldn't hold it in any longer. I, couldn't, I can't hold the dancing in. I can't hold the singing in. I can't hold the praising in. Um, the Koreans have a thing that they do. I can't remember what they call it. But everybody in the church will pray out loud, their own prayer, out loud for a time. And, of course, to, uh, to American ears, this is absolutely chaotic. And it, it makes us very nervous. Uh, at what point, when's, it going, when's this going to end? The, they, you know, they, could, they could do this for a long time. They could do this all day. Akim Kido, I think they call it. And um, this, the worship they'll still, nevertheless, for them and for us, is a condition of the heart. That we come here in order to worship. Here I come to bow down. I'm, I'm getting the words wrong, aren't I? Here I come to worship. Here I am to, here I am to say that you are you're my God. You're altogether worthy, altogether lovely, altogether one, wonderful to me. So my, as, as I think about spiritual maturity and an understanding of worship in a concrete way, that this is what I'm going to do now. When I come to church, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship God uh, as I ter- yield my heart to him, and we'll see what he does with it. I think he's going to do incredible things. The Holy Spirit, I think, is, is completely... Um, on his own and can, can do some amazing things that are, that are unpredictable to us. I get very excited by this. Um, and there was a time when I didn't. There was a time when if somebody would have, when somebody, I remember a, a person at Glen Burnie United Methodist Church just stood up once and started speaking. And I like, I seized up. I'm like, you, you, you can't do that. He said, I, and this, this, uh, this fellow said, I've, I've, I have to say this. And obviously it changed the entire church service. Up, well, yes, it changed the entire church service. We give ourselves over to the Lord in worship.
Maturity for us, then, is understanding the life and the values of ones who have been placed in authority over you. And, of course, that's, that's uh, the triune God who is in authority over us, who then um, commands and also drives and inhabits uh, the praise of his people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we are here because we love you. We are eager to hear about you. We are eager to learn about you. We are eager to to, um, taste and see that the Lord is good. We are eager, Lord, to be who you want us to be, to um, not only, Lord, of course, to worship, but we understand, Lord, and you understand in us that we come to you with our petitions, things, Lord, that we pray to you and cry out to you. Help us with these things. We give ourselves to you in worship, understanding, Lord, that part of your covenant is to to bless us with all good things. And so, Lord, as we go forth into the world, let us keep that spirit of worship alive always, to to be aware always of who you are in charge of everything, sovereign over everything, guiding everything, uh, aware of everything with a plan for everything. Uh, Guide us through this week, Lord, and let us come back here safely next week to worship you yet again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.